Thanks, Jared. Thanks, guys. It's good to be here. I get to pop into uh, Radiant Larry. I don't know, every few months, it seems like, and every time it gets better and better. So if you're uh, new-ish, you should definitely stay here. It's just getting better and better. So I'll let you know when it starts to, you know, but so far it's trucking along. I, I'm just so stoked and proud of what you guys are doing and Jared and Rachel and the team, the massive team around them helping and serving. It's just amazing. So keep it up. It's good. Yeah, I'm uh, here with my family. Katie is my wife who gave that weird, the weird word about the, I'm kidding. Didn't somebody say something about a weird, Jared did. You make sure they're not weird uh, about the tire swing. That's Katie, and uh, my five kids are around somewhere. I don't know where, but they're, uh, they're going around. So this morning we're going to be, uh, we're, we've been in a series on the book of Matthew. If you've uh, been uh, uh, trucking along with us. So we've, uh, we're heading into yet another tough teaching from Jesus. He's just kind of keeps jabbing us right in the chin, it seems like. We've already heard from him on lust and anger and adultery. Hopefully, hopefully Jared didn't skip those because they're doozies. Um, and now uh, he's training us, his disciples, how to act in the face of persecution and hardship and when enemies are coming at you. Jesus appears to be calling us in the text I'll read here in a minute to not get revenge and not get even and at first glance, just a warning, this text I, I don't like. It kind of rubs me the wrong way. As a person, I'm kind of naturally timid. I'm, you know, on the flight or fight scale. I'm definitely more on the flight side of things. I'm a middle child, so I like to diffuse awkward and tension uh, with humor. Um, and so I, I know that about myself. And so I've been encouraged by the parts of the Bible that call us to courage. And to not be timid, not shrink back. I like the Jesus that, you know, gets the, the whip together and drives out people and stands up to evil. And I, I like when Paul charges Timothy to um, that, that, that God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, timidity. Those are my kind of life verses. So these words today I don't love um, because I, I, I just think you can read them and think Jesus is calling us to be doormats and get walked all over and be passive and weak and um, but I, hopefully as we dig into this you'll see that um, Jesus isn't calling us to that he's not calling us to be passive people people that get walked all over um, the book of Matthew remember overall is a study on the kingdom of God and he's teaching us how to live and walk in that kingdom in the way that God knows best uh, I should just throw these out when I'm done because it's so windy. <laughs> One page done. We're trucking. Here we go. Um, we're not going back. Um, yeah, he's calling us to live in the kingdom. He's calling us to a generous life in the kingdom, not a life of scarcity, looking out for ourselves and protecting what's ours. Um, and as we live a generous life in the kingdom of God, we will bring that kingdom wherever we go and stop the cycle of evil that seems to be all around us. So let's read out of Matthew 5, uh, 38. It's a long one, through 48. Yes. Matthew 5, 
38 through 48. Some of the words will be up on the screen. Ta-da. Uh, I'm going to go a little longer than 42. But um, So you've heard, this is Jesus talking, that it was said, an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who's evil. But if someone, anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other one also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Father, we uh, submit to your words. Thank you for sending Jesus to show us the kingdom and bring us into it. Lord, we want to be in the kingdom. We don't understand all your ways. They're not like ours. And so give us understanding, I pray. Open up our minds. Get our hearts to be good soil for your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. So the people and the actions that Jesus seems to be describing here can only be described to me as generous. When I look at this text, I think, and this is, these are generous people, the way he's talking. Um, but a generous life's not easily obtained. It's really a narrow road, like Jesus often talks about. Few will find it. It's not easy. It's not normal. What's normal for us is to get payback. What's normal for us is to hate our enemies. That's, that's the normal way, the kingdom of the world, you could say. And that's an easy path to find. If you want to get on that freeway, it's an easy on-ramp to get onto. But the narrow road of generosity and loving your enemies and uh, the, words, the things that Jesus is describing is, is narrow. It's, a, it's, it's like a treasure. The kingdom's like a treasure. And tr if what makes treasure treasure is that it's not easily found. Not everybody finds treasure, right? If, if, if like, rocks aren't treasure because they're everywhere. But if, these, if this was all made of gold, I don't know. That would be kind of cool. But it would be less valuable, right? If we were, <laughs> that would be fun. Anyway, anyway um, payback is normal for us. And I think we kind of like payback. At least I do. Maybe you're more sanctified and holy than I am, but I love payback. Take, for instance, these uh, movie characters. Uh, the thing they... Oh, you can hardly see them, but anyway. Trust me. You can see the important ones. Uh, what these all have in common, if you haven't caught on yet, is that these are all movies about payback and revenge. Payback makes for great... Cinema. I, I wanted to show clips from these movies, but I opted not to show bloody war scenes around the children today. But you should definitely go watch some of these movies as some homework, okay? I did to study for this sermon. Yeah, I did. I did. Uh, the Revenant is messed up, but um, great, great movie. Um, Revenge makes for great cinema. Can you imagine if Maximus had forgiven Commodus? for murdering his wife and child, that would have been a terrible movie. Terrible movie, and Russell Crowe would have lost all of our respect. What if Liam Neeson had not used his 
uh, special set of skills to get his daughter back and destroy that Ukrainian trafficking ring. I mean, that would have been terrible if he was like, oh, well, sorry, sweetie, I'm turning the other cheek. It's like, boo, rotten tomatoes. Or if Inigo Montoya had forgiven the six-fingered man, we would have missed out on that classic line, hello. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Yeah, so... Revenge makes for good cinema. Payback, we love it. We, we just, we're drawn to it because it's normal to us. It's natural. We want to be Maximus in the face of evil. We don't want to be turn the other cheek guy in the face of evil. And on a more serious note, those of us that lived through 9-11, remember how quickly our divided country united around the idea of revenge and payback. You attack us. We're coming for you. We would have been livid if our president would have stood up and quoted these, these words from Jesus after 9-11. I mean, we would have just thrown him out of office and found a new one. Like, no way. But revenge, uh, unity built on payback is sh short-lived. A life aimed at payback doesn't always turn out like the movies. And Jesus is more realistic than us. He's bringing us into the reality of the kingdom. So uh, why are we so drawn to these stories? I, I think um, it has something to do with our orientation with the, to the kingdom of God. Our desire for retaliation is directly related to our level of hope in the coming kingdom. Because if this life is all we got, then by all means, protect what's yours and get it back. Right? If this is all we have to hope for, then revenge makes a ton of sense. These, in a two-hour movie, it makes a ton of sense to get payback because it's going to end and the credits are going to roll. But your life's not a movie. And the story that we're in is a story of the kingdom. And um, it is, uh, I, I love how it's described. It's, 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 a, it's a love story. God loves us. We love him. He's coming. But it's set in the midst of a battle. And there's conflict that goes on. But that battle, that arc of the story that we're in, God's story, where he's the hero, is moving toward its climax and culmination in the return of Christ and the renewal of all things, where heaven and earth will be made new. And everything lost will be returned to us. Not because we got it back or we got payback, but because our good king uh, returns it to us and rewards those who live in the kingdom. I think Jim Elliott, that young missionary so many years ago who was martyred alongside his fellow missionaries by a violent tribe in Ecuador, they're trying to sell, share the gospel. I think he got it right because, you see, they, these missionaries had guns to protect themselves. Uh, they, they were armed. And when they were attacked by these men in spears, they could have ended it very quickly. But they knew, these missionaries knew they were ready to face death. These Ecuador tri tribesmen were not ready to face death and meet Jesus. And so they decided not to defend themselves and because they were living and oriented toward a coming kingdom. And he is famously quoted as saying, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And that's what Jesus is pointing us toward, something that we can't lose, that, that can't be taken from us, a kingdom that won't, be, won't spoil, won't fade, won't be snatched away. And you're no fool to give up the revenge that is fleeting 
and the payback that, that, that comes and goes. You're no fool to give that up in order to gain a reward which can't be taken from you. So let's look a little deeper into the text in front of us. If you've been tracking in the Sermon on the Mount, there's kind of a format Jesus follows. He says, you've heard it said where he quotes the Old Testament law. And then he says, but I say to you where he has the audacity to uh, expound upon it and uh, fulfill it, so to speak, in himself. And then he gives us simple steps to live that out. And they're simple because they're like really straightforward. Like turn the other cheek. That's simple. Uh, simple doesn't mean easy, right? I'm not saying it's easy, but it's, it's very simple. You can't like think your way out of this one. Like, well, maybe what he meant by, you know, it's, it's, it's quite simple. So first he says, you've heard it said in our text. Uh, he says it, uh, he quotes a familiar piece of the law, which is called the lex, it's known as the lex talionis in Latin. It's the law of the tooth. And it comes from Exodus 21, verse 23. But if there's harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, and stripe for stripe. Now, this law was given by God, and it's brilliant. It's genius. Jesus isn't doing away with it. He's fulfilling it. And the reason this law was brilliant is because it was meant to limit payback. It was meant to limit this brand-new community that's wandering through the desert. God was trying to limit payback from spreading and evil just cycling out of control. So he's saying, okay, if you're harmed, then take tooth for tooth. Because left up to us, we payback always like goes one step further, right? You knock out my tooth, I'm knocking out all of your teeth, right? You uh, dent my car, I'm smashing your window, right? If you speed down my street, I'm going to slash all your tires kind of a thing, right? That's payback always takes it one step further. And so G, uh, God is trying to limit this with this, this law. And it was meant to be carried out by judges, impartial judges. To, so if, if I had a conflict with Jared and, I don't know, like he killed my mule. <laughs> I don't have a mule, but, you know, then, uh, it, yeah, not anymore. Then left up to me, I would be like, well, I'm going to take two of your mules uh, and the best ones. And... Um, but what was meant, this was meant to be carried out by impartial judges. So we're supposed to go to a judge, and then the judge can assess, like, well, Mike, you're, that, he killed, like, an 80-year-old mule of yours. So we're supposed to go eye for eye, tooth for tooth. So the, the judges keep it fair. So God knew payback rarely stays fair. So he gave them this law. But Jesus says, I say to you, I say to you, do not resist the one who's evil. Do not resist the one who's evil. Jesus wants to take this further. He knew that if we take the principles of justice and fair restitution in our own hands and escalating revenge would just cause evil to spin out of control. And Jesus is trying to stop the cycle of evil from just spinning out of control. So he says, don't resist the one who's evil. Now, this word resist, I don't completely understand, but it's not as simple as just saying uh, what we think is resist because we're commanded in the scriptures to resist the devil so it's not like we're supposed to be passive people. Jesus is, uh, this idea of resist, this word resist kind of carries this notion of payback and getting even, trying to get back to where you started from resisting. And Jesus is clearly saying, don't try to do that with the person who's doing evil. We're commanded as Christians to resist the evil one, but don't res take that battle to the 
flesh and blood in front of you and resist the one who the devil might be using to do some bad things toward you. So this is not a passive doormat approach, but an active choice to not fight fire with fire, to choose a different way of the kingdom. And then he gives us these small, simple steps, four of them, four little vignettes about a cheek, about a tunic, about a, a mile, and about a, um, uh, somebody who's begging from you. Four things that we can do. So let's look at these. First, he says, if, uh, if somebody slaps you on the right cheek, turn to the other one also. Now, um, this at first glance looks like don't, um, that you're supposed to take fi a physical beating and keep taking it. That's what it kind of can look like, right? If somebody smacks you, keep getting smacked. That's what Jesus is calling to us. Life in the kingdom, just getting you pummeled. Uh, however, this is, I don't think Jesus is talking about an attack on your safety or your physical well-being. This is an attack on your honor. Uh, because in that culture, you used your right hand for things. You didn't use your left hand for things. So if Mark was up here and I wanted to smack him on the right cheek with my right hand, I have to use the back side of my hand, which is a very disrespectful thing in that culture. I was not trying to hurt him. I mean, honestly, like if, 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 uh, if somebody was up here and I slapped them on the cheek, none of you would say, oh, I hope they survive. You know, like, right? I mean, a slap, it's, it's, it's embarrassing more than it is hurtful. And especially a backhand. It's, a put, it's like putting somebody in their place, taking a dominant position over them. It's an attack on their honor. So Jesus is saying, what do you do when somebody shames you, attacks you, and, and comes at you uh, with this? Um, he is saying, don't fight, don't flee, but stand again and face your opponent. Don't let shame cover you and become a lesser than person. But when you turn to them the other cheek also, you are facing your opponent again. And in fact, if you offer them your left cheek, that would require me to um, use my the front of my hand, which then I look like as an attacker, like an oppressor and like a, a bad person if I'm smacking people like that in that culture. And so this, Jesus is not causing us or uh, wanting us to, to be passive and capitulate, but to actively show poise when somebody's coming at our honor and trying to shame us and put us into our place. I don't think what he is saying here that, um, th that we're supposed to keep taking a beating. Notice uh, he doesn't say if somebody slaps your child on the cheek, turn to him the other child of cheek of your child also. This is not a pass to not defend those who are in your care. If somebody breaks into your house, you're not supposed to say, okay, I'm a Christian, so may I show you around the place? You know, like that's not what he's saying. And um, it, this is n certainly not uh, a license to stay in an abusive relationship. This is not what Jesus is saying here. Don't keep getting beaten. You're not a proving that you're in the kingdom by getting uh, abused physically, turning the other cheek, facing your oppressor, and not letting shame come upon you could very much look like calling the authorities, calling your pastors for spiritual covering and getting out of that abusive relationship. He's not telling you to keep taking a beating. Turn the other cheek also. Show poise and courage in the face of somebody trying to put you in your place and shame you. And then he says, when somebody takes your sues you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. So two pieces of clothing here, a cloak and a tunic. Tunic was underwear. It was like an undergarment that you would wear, like a long thing that you would wear under your clothes. A cloak was your outer garment. 
And your cloak, if you were poor, is what you would sleep in to stay warm at night. So Jesus is saying if you get taken to court for your underwear, let him have your cloak as well. Now just imagine that scene. They're taking your underwear. You're, wearing, you're, you're going commando at this point in the court of law. And then, they, and then you say, ah, I got an idea. I, I'd like to give you my outer garment as well. Whoop! Everybody's like, oh, my goodness, what are they doing? You're showing that, I mean, he's, he's exaggerating here, saying in life in the kingdom is saying, look, I'd, I'd rather go naked than fight for my property and my things. I, I'm willing to go naked. And you're actually bringing quite a bit of embarrassment on that person. You're showing them to be like a lowlife that's willing to take somebody's cloak, which was meant to keep them warm at night. And, I mean, it, you're bringing, like, you're kind of turning the tables on them, so to speak, by willing to endure kind of public humiliation and not fight over your things. So let them take your cloak as well. If anybody forces you to go one mile, go with them too. So the Romans occupied Jerusalem at this time, and a soldier could force a Jew to carry their gear for a mile. If a Roman soldier came up to you as a Jew, say, hey, you carry my stuff for a mile, you had to do it, is the law. But just imagine what that soldier does as you get to that mile point and you just keep going. And all of a sudden, they might be getting in trouble because they're breaking the law, forcing you to go longer than you, you're willing, uh, than they, they were supposed to go. But you're, you're, you're showing that you, as a person, when there's a wrong done to your liberty, to your freedom, right? Because that takes, to walk a mile with gear takes a long time out of your day. When somebody wrongs your sense of freedom and liberty and makes you do something that you're not willing to, you go the extra mile because you said, hey, that first mile, you forced that upon me. But the second mile, I'm choosing to do that as a free person in the kingdom. I'm living under a different king, and I don't need to fight for my liberty. So we've seen what to do when, when there's an attack on your honor, when an attack on your property, and now attack on your liberty and your freedom, and you're willing to do beyond what is being asked of you, not because you're being compelled to do it, but as a free person living life, a generous life in the kingdom. And now there's an attack on your generosity. What do you do when somebody begs and asks from you? The one who begs means somebody who really needs it. This isn't like somebody who's trying to scam you, uh, but this is like actually somebody who is in poverty and needs help. Um, that's Jesus saying give to that person. Certainly live a generous life, give to him. But lend to the one who borrows from you. You guys all know when you let somebody borrow something, it turns into more borrowing, right? You, like, if, if you let me borrow your truck when I moved, guess who I'm calling when I have to move again? I want to keep borrowing your truck to go to the dump. Like, borrowing turns into more borrowing. And Jesus is saying, look, don't live a closed-handed life, but give to the one who wants to borrow from you. Your stuff is not your own. Give to that because you are looking to a God who will provide. Now, Jesus doesn't promise these strategies are going to convert these people to Christians, and they're going to be like, all of a sudden, see the light. But I guarantee that your heart will be converted to the kingdom of God as you live these things out, as you're, as you're attacked in your, your, your sense of honor, or your property, or your liberty, your freedom, your generosity. is Being assaulted, you choose to live in a different kingdom, and your heart will slowly and surely be converted to the way of Jesus. And that's what he is wanting. So my initial... Uh, wrestle with these words is starting to subside. I'm starting to get what Jesus is doing here. And, um, and, and, and I think that if I really want to take him serious, like if I really want to follow him in his kingdom, 
then I will become a ty the type of person that brings his kingdom wherever I go. In the face of evil, I won't be looking to protect my own, but I want to look for, in his way, to undo the cycle of evil, because that's what Jesus is up to on the earth. He, 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 is, he is slowly but surely extending his kingdom through us and doing away with evil that has gripped the world since the fall of Adam and Eve. And we're being, we're being brought into that. So I'm not no longer reading these words like, ah, Jesus, why are you being so t tough on me? I'm actually seeing him as a, an invitation. Like, wow, Jesus, you trust me to be your partner in extending your kingdom. This is really cool that we get to do that. But how is it possible? How do we put it in practice? Because I don't, I mean, honestly, we don't wear tunics and cloaks. And there's no Roman soldiers forcing us to take their stuff. And if they did, I'd just throw it in my car and drive it a mile. It'd be no big problem, right? If I take this literally, you know, I'm not getting smacked on the cheek very often. So how do we actually put this in possible? I think it's real simply every day deciding to take up your cross and follow him. Just, just, just decide, okay, I might not get smacked on the cheek or have my cloak sued from me today. But I guarantee you there's going to be attacks on your liberty, your property, your sense of pride, and your generosity will come at you. And you just decide, okay, today, Jesus, I'm taking up my cross, and I want your way. Not because I'm inflicting punishment on myself or I'm a glutton for punishment, but because I want to be in your kingdom. He's orienting you and me to his generous kingdom, to a kingdom that will, will, all these things that we lose will be restored and given back to us. And that's what we want. It starts with the cross. But then he, I mean, he takes it further. He says, look, you've also heard it said you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. It was kind of like, wait, wait, wait. I'm fine to like turn the other cheek and live generously. But now you're saying like actually love these people, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I mean, it's just like, oh, Jesus, I don't know if I keep doing this. I mean, this is like, but look how God treats his enemies. He says, you may be sons of your father who's in heaven. He's saying, if you love your enemies, you'll be his kids. Because look how he treats his enemy. He sends rain on the evil and the righteous. Sun on the evil and the righteous. He showers blessings on people that hate him and don't want anything to do with him. And he's saying, that's what I'm calling you. I'm calling you to perfection here. I'm, uh, you and I are on our way to perfection. Not just, like, we, that's what we will be in the kingdom. We will be, I will be a perfect Mike. I, I just can't even wrap my head around that. And he's saying, this is the way to that. Loving your enemies. So not just turning the other cheek, but getting to the point where you can shower blessings of prayer on those who harm you and wrong you and want to take what is yours. And, and sunshine of blessing that you're, you're, you're showing to people that wrong you. That boss who misspoke about you and fired you. That, that person who falsely accused you. Those are the people Jesus is saying, pray for those and you'll be on your way to perfection. I mean, it's just remarkable. He's just showing us a treasure of the kingdom. I can't, I'm just like stunned. Like, wow, you're really showing us like the secret treasure map. Love those, shower blessings on those, love your enemies. That's how you truly imitate God in a perfect world. Now, I want to leave us just here quickly at the end with some handles to hold on to because I don't want you to go home and just be overwhelmed like, okay, loving that boss that's a jerk tomorrow. You know, like, it's tough to just hit, go from zero to 60 in this thing. Like, we, we want to grow in this. 
Jesus is gracious to us. You know, he's not condemning to you. Like, he, he's just showing you where he wants to take you in the kingdom. He'll help you get there. So a couple of handles I found helpful. One is Romans chapter 12. I would highly recommend you read through that and pray through that. There's some great, like, practical ways to love your enemies and undo the cycle of evil in Romans 12. I mean, I would just say, like, spend some time in that chapter Read it, reread it, pray through it, journal about it. Like, there's some real straightforward, practical things to do in Romans 12. So I, that's a handle out of the scriptures that you can go to. I'd highly recommend it. Another handle is just choose today and decide to walk in forgiveness. One thing, um, a, a, a prayer I've been incorporating into my daily prayer routine is the prayer, the audacious, crazy prayer. Jesus, I forgive everyone, everything. It's one sentence, and it's changing my life because I'm – now, I know there's people that, like, deep down I haven't forgiven, so I'm not going on, like, the deep dive and, like, searching through all the – I'm just saying, look, I have decided to walk in forgiveness. I forgive everyone everything. Things that have, haven't happened yet to me today, things that happened yesterday. Jesus, I forgive them. That's just, just announcing to the heavens, I'm going to be a person that walks in forgiveness. That will help you to not get buried under the wrongs that are done to you, but to rise above that in the kingdom and, and love. You can't get very far if you're buried under forgiveness. So just choose and pray it in faith like you would for like a, you're praying for healing. It's like, I, I'm praying for healing. I don't know if, you know, it's like I haven't seen this before. I haven't seen me forgive everyone everything all the time, but I'm praying it. God, I forgive everyone everything. I'd also uh, suggest that you apply the cross of Christ to your life every day. So um, Galatians 2.20 says that I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives me. And the life I live in this flesh, in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's a great verse to stick to your bathroom mirror and pray that over your life. Apply the cross of Christ to your life. Meaning, you just pray, Jesus, I, I, I receive your love that you've given yourself for me, and I pry the work of your cross to my life today, to all my relationships, my work, everything I'm doing today. I just bring the cross of Christ over it, because I've, you've said, Jesus, that I've been crucified, meaning I'm dead. And the life I'm now living, I live for you by faith in the Son of God. So Jesus saying, yay, be perfect as your Father in heaven's perfect. Well, that is simple when... The perfect Son of God is living his life through us, right? I mean, that's that's possible. If it's up to me and Mike, I'm going to get like 10 minutes into my day before I mess up. But, oh, I apply the cross of Christ. I'm dead to sin. I've been separated from my sin as far as east from west. Just apply that cross of Christ real quickly, real simply, every day over your life, and you'll find yourself free to love your enemies, free to turn the cheek when, when you've been wronged. But I, I think the best handle we could get today is, do you, I'm sorry, did I, do you guys take communion? Oh, perfect, because that would have, I mean, that was like, <laughs> I would have, we got donuts though. Mark will do communion with donuts and coffee. So, um, <laughs> I think the best handles, the best thing that we can lay hold of today is simply to come to the table, to, to, to come to the communion table to orient ourselves to this generous kingdom and undo the cycle of evil around us at this table. Because here, at the table, we remember the body that was broken and the blood that was poured out for us. 
Jesus had every reason to rightfully get revenge and payback on his enemies. And in fact, this table, this communion table was instituted in the presence of his enemies to, to disciples who were about to turn their back on him and wrong him and betray him. And he was giving them this meal. And so we remind ourselves at this table that we come not, uh, we first come as God's enemies. We, we were the ones who were his enemies who he loved us into the kingdom. And we receive his mercy and his grace and his help that we desperately need. We were the ones shouting crucify him. You have to remember that that's where I started. I was shouting crucify and instead of clinging to his reputation and his rights, Jesus turned his cheek to get another blow. He died naked, losing his outer garment and his tunic as well. He was willing to carry the burden, our burden of the cross, not just one, but two, three miles. And he gave to the one who begged. And he gave to the one who asked from him. He continued to give. And on the cross, we see him loving his enemies. Loving his enemies, loving his failed disciples, loving those Roman soldiers, forgiving them, even though they, 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 they put him to shame. We remember that moment at the cross, and we remind ourselves, I was once an enemy of God, and now I'm his child. How costly it was to bring us to that place. We are recipients of generous mercy. We are recipients of a generous kingdom. And we are choosing this day to live in that generous kingdom. As hard as it might sound, we're choosing today to turn the other cheek, to go the extra mile, to give, to love, to shower blessing. We're choosing in the strength and the grace of Christ. To